The following resource is from Christ Community Church. For more information, please visit lovinglord.org. Heavenly Father, we not only thank you for this day to worship you, but we thank you for another year of life. We recognize that every day we have and every year we have is a gift from your hand. We don't deserve it, and we know that we won't have time like this forever. I pray, Father, that this morning, as we're on the cusp of a new year, I pray that you would help us to consider seriously the fact that our time here is so limited. Please, Father, help us this morning to get a hold of our transience, to get a hold of our impermanence. Please, Lord, press it deep into our hearts and minds. Cause us to internalize this reality about ourselves so deeply that it it permeates the way we live. It transforms our lives now. Cause us to live for what matters forever. Cause us to live for you. I pray, Lord, that you would do that through your word this morning. Make this the kind of transformational experience that engaging you through your word should be. Help me to preach it clearly. Help me to preach it well. Help us to listen well. Help us to understand this word. Cause us, Father, to strive to remember what we hear today. And by the the power of your Holy Spirit, by your grace, put this into action. We know that you can do all this. I pray that you would for your own glory and honor and also for each of us, for our own sakes. Because we know, Lord, that it will be best if we live in accordance with your word, and if we live in accordance with the truth about what we are, that we are, as the psalmist says, a mere breath. Again, we pray all of this for your glory and trust in your spirit to accomplish it. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, Happy New Year. This is the first Sunday of the new year, and so we're going to be doing a New Year's sermon And I don't know about you, but it feels like 2023 went by like that. That it was was here and now it's gone. And I think it typically feels like that when you start a new year. The the previous year seems to have gone by so quickly. In fact, the sign that we're going to be putting out on our our street, on the Camden sign, this coming week is going to say, the new year reminds us how fast the old one went. The new year reminds us how fast the old one went. And it's so true, and, and yet we know that this year is not going to be any different. We're going to make it to 2025, by God's grace, if we all live that long. And we're going to look at 2024 and say, man, it went by so fast. And we're going to do the same for 2025 and 2026 and so on until there's no more years left in your life. And it's all done and you're all gone. Now, the sermon today, it's not going to be so much on how on how much time flies, even though that's true. And you hear people say things like that all the time, right? Time flies. The years go by so fast. Don't blink or you'll miss it. And that's true. Psalm 39 this morning, it focuses more, I think, on how your time, not so much how time flies, but how your time has an end. Your time here is limited. As the psalmist says in verse 4, crying out to God. He says, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. 
And that's my prayer for us today, that by God's grace, we would know how fleeting we are, how transient we are. That we are, as the songwriter puts it so well, a mere breath. The main point today comes from a poem written by a British missionary named C.T. Studd. It's a line that you're probably familiar with. It goes like this, quote, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's the big idea. We're going to look at what this song says about you. What does this song say about you? It says you're a mere breath. That's point number one. And then we're going to look at how we should live in light of that. The first point's going to be longer because the psalm doesn't really talk about how to live in light of that. In fact, it talks about maybe how you shouldn't live in light of that, which we'll touch on. But the first point is what you are, a mere breath. The second point is how you should live, how you can make this mere breath a meaningful breath. So point number one, a mere breath. Psalm 39 is a song. It's a song that was likely intended to be performed with instruments. And if I had some cymbals and a harp, I would try to perform it for you. But unfortunately, I don't have those resources available here, uh, which is a shame. But if you turn your eyes to Psalm 39, you'll see at the top, it says that this is to the choir master, to the director of music in the temple. This might be indicating that you know, this was a song that would be used in the worship of God in the temple. To Jeduthun, who was one of the people that David appointed to direct music in the temple. And then it says it's a psalm of David. That doesn't necessarily mean it was written by David. It could be. It could also just mean that it was for David or belonged to David or about David or something like that. And when we get into this psalm, we realize that this, this song, it's not, a, it's not a song of praise. It's not a Christmas song. It's not a romance song. It's a sad song. It's what we would call a, a song of lament. It's what scholars would call an individual lament because it's not the lament of a nation. It's not the lament of the nation as a whole. It's the lament of a particular individual. What is it that this songwriter is lamenting exactly? Let's read his song and and find out. In verse 1, if you turn your attention to the passage with me, he says, starting in verse 1, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. He's afraid that if he speaks, he's going to say something sinful. Because he's surrounded by wicked people, he doesn't want to say something that could give them a reason to think poorly of God or speak poorly of God. And in light of his suffering, he's probably tempted to, mum, uh, to, to murmur, to complain. But he's, he's going to put a muzzle on his mouth. He's not going to speak. And so he says in verse 2, I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail and my distress grew worse. His silence was making it worse. He's closing up inside him this fiery feeling of anxiety. And it's, it's heating him up more inside. And so he says in verse 3, my heart became hot within me. And as I mused, the fire burned and he can't hold it back anymore. He, he opens up the vent and he bursts forth in speech. He says, Then I spoke with my tongue. Verse 4, O Yahweh, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. 
let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days as a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Selah. It's probably a musical indicator. Verse 6, surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. The songwriter bursts forth in speech and he's acknowledging his fragility. He's acknowledging how transitory he is. And then in verse 7, he exclaims his loyalty to God. He says, and now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. My hope for help isn't in other people. My hope for help isn't in other things. My hope for help is in you. Verse 8, deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Did you catch that? Read the last part of verse 9 again. He says, it is you who have done it. The songwriter here is suffering because of God's discipline. He's being chastised by God. That's what he's lamenting here. He's lamenting the suffering that he's experiencing under God's discipline. And now he's, he's keeping his mouth shut again. He's not speaking again. But this time it's not because he's in the presence of the wicked and he doesn't want to say something bad against God. Now he's keeping his mouth shut because he's recognizing that this is God's hand. This is God's doing. The reason he's suffering is because God is disciplining him. And so he asks God, he says, deliver me from all my transgressions. Rescue me not from bad people. That's something the psalmist sometimes pray for. Rescue me not from a bad situation. That's also something the psalmist sometimes pray for. Rescue me from my transgressions. From my guilt from all the suffering and the consequences that I'm experiencing as a result of my transgressions. Rescue me, God. He prays in verse 10, remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. You consume his wealth, maybe, or you consume his life, and then he reiterates just how transitory man is, like he did in verse 5. He says, surely all mankind is a mere breath. Selah. Hear my prayer, O Yahweh, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. The Israelites, they were considered to be sojourners in God's land. The promised land belonged to God and they were foreigners in it. They were guests in it. And so he asks his God now to hear his cry, to respond to his tears. And he says in verse 13, look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. He asks God to look away. By that he's, he, he's asking for a, a break from his discipline, a break from his chastisement. He wants some reprieve so that before he dies, he can experience some better times. And that's how the song ends. It's a lament that 
ends without any kind of positive resolution. Now it's in this sad song that we find him musing about his transience. It's, it's this sad lament about suffering under God's discipline that he writes about how transitory he is. Why is that? What does his transience, his fleetingness, have to do with his experience of suffering under God's discipline? Well, it seems like this particular songwriter is touching on a nerve that Job touched on back in in Job chapter 7, where Job says to God, Leave me alone, for my days are a breath. What is man that you make so much of him, that you visit him every morning and test him every moment? The songwriter saying, What am I, God? I'm so insubstantial. I'm so transitory. My days are a breath. Why are you focusing so much on me? Why are you disciplining me so much? I'm nothing. As one scholar put it, quote, the burning question of this psalm is why God should so assiduously discipline a creature as frail and fleeting as man. We're frail and we're fleeting. What am I, God? Why are you so diligently chastising me? Why are you so severely and persistently disciplining a creature as transitory as me. I'm so insubstantial. What would you say to the songwriter? I'll tell you what I think the author of Hebrews would say. He would say, Hebrews chapter 12, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And then he refers to Proverbs 3 saying, quote, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. He disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. And for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The songwriter here, perhaps unknowingly, fails to account for the fact that If he is one of God's children, then God is a good father who disciplines the children that he loves. He also seems to fail to account for the fact that there might not just be temporal benefits to his discipline, but eternal benefits to his discipline. And so, God is justified in disciplining even creatures as frail and fleeting as man. But that said, even though we would tell the songwriter that, you know, you're you're missing part of the picture here. You've got, you're, you're certainly right about the nature of man, but this isn't, this isn't the complete, this isn't the uh, complete picture. His insight is, is nonetheless absolutely correct. His insight regarding the nature of humanity, regarding how transitory we are, is absolutely right. Look again at verse four. The songwriter cries out to God. In his lament, saying, O Yahweh, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. And then, no sooner does he ask the question than he gives the answer. Verse 5 Behold, you have made my days a few 
handbreadths. How big is a handbreadth? It's from here to here. It's four fingers. So maybe, what, two to three inches. That's a handbreadth. And he's saying, my days, the duration of my life, it's just a few of those. Handbreadths, they were, they were one of the smallest Hebrew measurements. And the psalmist is saying, the songwriter is saying, my lifetime, my days, it's just a few handbreadths. A matter of inches. And this is God's doing. He says that God is the one, you are the one, who has made my days a few handbreadths. Now when we think about the length of our lives, you know, oldness is, is relative, right? To my daughter, Abby, who's five years old, a 10-year-old seems old to her. For me, I'm 28, and a 90-year-old seems old to me. But relative to God, nobody is old. Relative to the everlasting one, what is your life? Your lifetime is nothing. The songwriter continues, verse 5, he says, My lifetime is as nothing before you. What if you live to be 90? What if you live to be 100 or 120? Compared to God, nothing. Nothing. There are no old people before God. You know that, right? Nobody's old. Old people do not exist. None of us live long. Nobody has a long life. Some of us have shorter lives than others, but all of our lives are short. Compared to the Creator, compared to the eternal, everlasting one, we all die young. Some die younger than others, but we all die young. What is the measure of your days before God? It's a few handbreadths. Or more precisely, it's nothing. Nothing. Songwriter turns now to speak of other people, not just himself. He says at the end of verse 5, Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. All people, a mere breath. What does that mean? I'll show you. Are you ready? <sighs> Did you see that? You didn't see anything. Of course you didn't see anything. And that's, that's kind of getting at what the point is here. You can't see breath. You can't touch breath. You can't grab it. You can't tie it down. You can't weigh it on a scale. It's, it's not substantive. It's insubstantial. That's the idea. Insubstantial in what sense? Here in the sense of impermanence. Transience. You're a mere breath. Insubstantial. The NIV translates verse 5 differently. It says, Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Now, regardless of which translation is more correct, that's certainly true too, right? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, whether you're famous or not famous, whether you're powerful or oppressed or educated or uneducated. 
the most secure among us are just as much a breath as you are. They're just as insubstantial as you are. And insubstantial here is getting at impermanent, transient. No matter who you are, that's what you are, a breath. Now, I think that this is one truth that we really don't need the Bible to tell us. There's more than one way to learn this lesson. You can learn it by reading through the song here in Psalm 39. But this is not something that we need the Scriptures to tell us because our experience testifies to it just fine, I think. 100% of the people who have walked on this earth before us are no longer here. Not 95%, not 99.999%, 100%. Everybody can pick the most powerful men in human history, like Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Napoleon. They're all gone. Can pick the great leaders of our own country, like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. Gone. The most brilliant scientific minds of the past, Galileo, Isaac Newton, Albert Einstein, gone. Even the great men that we find in Scripture, Abraham, Isaac, David, gone. John the Baptist, Peter, Paul, gone. The saints of church history, Augustine, Aquinas, Calvin, are they here anymore? Do you see them on YouTube? They're gone. Even recently, beloved teachers like R.C. Sproul and Tim Keller are no longer here. All gone. We live here in the Bay Area. Everybody who was here in the Bay Area 150 years ago is no longer here. They're gone. And 150 years from now, you will no longer be here. You'll be gone too. Everybody in the Bay Area right now, there's about a million people in San Jose. This entire city will be gone. Everybody here will be gone 150 years from now. Some of you know the reality of our transients all too well, having personally experienced the pain of losing loved ones. You know that we are not here forever. Everyone around you, your parents, are a breath. Your children are a breath. Your siblings are a breath. Your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors are a breath. Our leaders, our politicians are a breath. Our celebrities, our athletes are a breath. Everyone, even our enemies, our national enemies are a breath. Verse 5, surely all mankind, all mankind stands as a mere breath. And here's the sobering realization for you. You're part of all mankind. That includes you. You know that, right? You know that one day you too will be gone. You're not special. You're not different from all of the other people in human history or from the rest of humanity. You too will be gone. This is the way of all the earth. Your duration here, your time here is limited. You are so transient. Your existence is insubstantial. You too are a mere breath. 
You see, the problem is that we really just don't believe that, right? We really don't. We, we might be sober for a little bit when the calendar changes and we realize, oh man, that year went by fast. We might be sober when we read a passage like this and we realize, wow, my time has an end. But then we quickly return to the bottle of busyness and the bottle of noise and we return back to our normal, usual, drunken state of thinking and living as if we're going to live forever. As if things will always be the way that they are now. And there is so much that inebriates us like that, right? So much that keeps us busy, deadlines at work, needs at home with the kids, homework, school, taxes, your shows at night, right? One thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. And so much noise. You can't go to a restaurant without there being noise. Sometimes the noise is so loud you can't, you can't talk. You get into your car, you turn on music. It takes your mind somewhere else, distracts you. See people walking around with, with headphones in all the time. So much busyness, so much noise. That bottle is just being shoved down your throat, keeping you drunk, keeping you inebriated, keeping you distracted. You don't stop, you don't pause to think that I'm not going to be around forever. This experience of mine, it's going to come to an end. My time here is limited. We keep living as if we're always, as if we always will, but we won't. We need somebody to shake us out of our stupor. We need somebody to shout in our faces what we are. It's like in in the first Toy Story. I'm assuming most of you have seen Toy Story, right? There's a a scene where Buzz and, and Woody, they both fall out of the car and they're in the gas station parking lot. And at this point in the story, Buzz, uh, he's a toy space ranger and he still thinks he's a real space ranger. And it's really getting on Woody's nerves and eventually he's fed up with his antics and he shouts at him in his face, you are a toy. We need somebody like that to shout in our face. You are a toy. You're a mere breath. You're a breath. Somehow we got to get that through our plastic helmet, our thick skin. How can we do that? Many of you are familiar with Jonathan Edwards. You know that he wrote a number of resolutions. I don't remember the number off the top of my head, maybe 66, something like that. It was a lot. There were a lot of things that he was resolved to do in his life, and he wrote it down, and he planned to review it on a periodic basis. And one of his resolutions was this. He listened to resolution number nine of the great Puritan pastor and theologian. He said, Resolved to think much on all occasions of my own dying, and of the common circumstances which attend death. This was something he was resolved to do, to think a lot about his own dying. It's something that I think takes resolve because we don't do it naturally. And because we have 
I would say demons, taking that bottle of busyness and noise and shoving it down our throats. It takes determination. It takes discipline to keep your transients before your eyes, to remember what you are, to remember that you're a mere breath. It takes resolve. Maybe you hear that and you think, isn't it morbid to think on your death so much? No, it's not morbid. I think it's one of the wisest things that you can do. Are you resolved to do that? Are you resolved to think much on your own death? If not, make that your New Year's resolution. Make your New Year's resolution in 2024 to think much on how transitory you are. To think on the fact that your life has an end. That you are a mere breath. What can you do to keep your transients in front of you? There are lots of practical ways. I would encourage you to spend some time after the sermon thinking of a practical way that you can keep the reality of what you are in front of you on a regular basis. I'll give you a few ideas. But it would be better for you to think of something that will work well for you. There have been times in the past where I have literally set a timer on my phone to go off on a regular basis throughout the day to remind me of certain things. And one of those things is to live in light of my own death and to live in light of the death of those around me. It's something that unless you are intentional to remind yourself of, you will forget. You'll get drunk again, you'll become inebriated again, and you'll live as if you're always going to be around and as if the people you love and care about are always going to be around. It's not true. You need to have a friend like Woody shouting in your face, you are a toy, you are a breath, That's one idea. I also heard once of how the president of my seminary, Southern Seminary, Albert Moeller, keeps a model skull on his desk. And the reason why he does that is to remind him of the fact that one day he will die. It's something that you see in certain paintings of medieval thinkers. Sometimes you'll see on their desk there's a a skull there. And that's another very helpful, very practical way to keep in front of you your mortality. Because when you look at that face, when you look at that skull, you know that's going to be you in a matter of time. I actually have a a model skull up in in my office uh, sitting on my desk upstairs. And it's funny, Brandon was just telling me this morning that he he was up there with James the other day. And James doesn't, he calls the skull a monster. And, uh, and, and, and they were up in the hallway and, and he went to go to the door to my office and he touched the door and, and he, he said something like, oh, the monster's in there. And he, he uh, I think Brandon asked him if he wanted to go in and he said, oh, no, no, no. He, he t- touched the door handle but then pulled away. He, ca- he calls it a monster and, and maybe that's because it's scary or because it's ugly and that's true. It is scary and, it's, and it is ugly. But the reality is that when you're staring a skull like that in the face, what you're staring at is yourself. Just a matter of time. That's you you're looking back at. That's reality. Right? A few years, and that's you. 
That's what I'm becoming. Maybe you can find something tangible like that to keep in front of you, to remind you of the fact that you are a mere breath, so insubstantial, so transient. One final reminder, and one that you'll have with you on a regular basis, is your own breath. Stop for a minute to try to catch your breath. And by that I mean to actually, literally, try to catch your breath. You'll realize that you can't do it. You can't grab it. You can't catch it because it's insubstantial. Stop every now and then to think about your breath and to realize that that is what the Bible says you are. That you're just as insubstantial as that puff of air coming out of your mouth. And insubstantial, as insubstantial, you are impermanent, you are transient, and you'll be gone soon. Your breath can be a great reminder. A model skull can be a great reminder. Alarm on your phone can be a great reminder. Shouting in your face, just like what he did in the parking lot, that you are a toy, you are a breath. Find something like that. Don't leave here today without being determined like Edwards was, to think much on all occasions of your own dying. You need to get this into your heart. You need to get it into your mind. You need to get it into your bones and your blood. This is what you are. You can even pray to God. Verse 4. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. As C.T. Studd said, only one life will soon be passed. You are a mere breath. If you don't fight to keep that in front of you, you will forget it. Guaranteed. <laughs> and if you forget it, you might not live in accordance with it. What would it look like to live in accordance with it? What would it look like to live in light of your transience. Let's turn our attention to the second point, a meaningful breath. You are a mere breath. How can you make that mere breath a meaningful breath? In verse 6, the songwriter continues to muse on how insubstantial man is and the consequence of it. He says in verse 6, you can follow along with me, Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. What good is all the hustling and bustling for wealth if you're going to die and you don't even know who it's going to? Your bank account's getting bigger and bigger, sure, but you have no idea how it's going to be spent. It's all for nothing for you. Let's pretend even for a moment that you actually do know who it's going to. Maybe you know it's going to go to your children. You have no idea how your children are going to spend it. And when your children die, who's it going to go to then? Perhaps you say, oh no, I know my children. My children aren't following Christ. And the thought of my money going to them when I die is even worse than not knowing who it's going to go to because I know what they'll do with it. For those of you who are here, when we studied Ecclesiastes, the songwriter's meditation in Psalm 39, it's very similar to what 
Coalette, the teacher in Ecclesiastes said in Ecclesiastes 2, he said, I hated all my, to- all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. We are transient. And so toiling to accumulate wealth is a meaningless endeavor. What would be a meaningful endeavor instead? If heaping up wealth for yourself isn't a good use of your life in light of the fact that you are a mere breath, in light of the fact that you're transient, in light of the fact that you will be gone in a matter of time, what is a good use of your time here? A wise person, even wiser than Coalette, even wiser than the songwriter, once said this, quote, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. You want your breath to count Don't waste it laying up treasures here. Spend it laying up treasures in heaven. Your treasures there are secure. Your treasures there will last forever. Live for Him. Yes, you're a a mere breath, but let that mere breath be breathed out for Him. Let it be breathed for Him. You see, The Bible tells us something amazing. It says that this eternal one, this everlasting one, our creator, before whom our limited lifetime is nothing, it says that he actually became transient. The eternal one became a frail and fleeting man like you. He became transient like you. He became a mere breath like the rest of mankind. And then he gave up his breath for you on a cross. He lost his life for you. Why? So that you could live forever. He perished, clothed himself in, the immortal one clothed himself in mortality, clothed himself in mortal flesh, and then gave up his life so that you could be clothed with immortality so that you could live forever. And he bids you now, he calls you now, to give up your transient life for him. To give him the few handbreadths of your days and to store up treasures forever. To pile up treasures that matter forever. Are you doing that? Or are you laying up treasures here? What if you knew that 2024 was going to be your last year? What would you do? I hope you wouldn't say, I quit my job so I can travel the world. 
And so I can spend all of my time doing the things that I enjoy most. That's the way a fool thinks. Hopefully you would say, you know what? I don't have much time left. I'm not going to waste it. I'm not going to waste my time, this very short time I have, watching lots of TV or playing lots of video games. I'm not going to bend over backwards to be successful at work, to receive recognition like I want to. I'm certainly not going to pour a lot of money or energy into creating my dream home or to go on all the vacations that I want. Forget social media, forget my hobbies, forget all of this stuff. I don't have much time left. I'm going to spend these few days this year, this limited bit of time I have for Jesus. I'm going to pour out my love for others the most I possibly can. I'm going to be the best parent that I can. I'm going to be the best spouse that I can. I'm going to serve. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to be a faithful brother or a faithful sister in Christ to people. When I'm gone, I want people to say, wow, he really loved me. She really cared about me. I'm going to pray for people like there's no tomorrow because there really isn't. I'm going to strive to help those in need around me. I'm going to dedicate myself to the making of disciples and to sharing the gospel. And heck, you know, I'm going to be gone a year from now. I'm going to sell all of my possessions. I'm going to give what I have to the poor. I'm going to go overseas. I'm going to try and reach a people group that has no hope of eternal life with the message of the good news. That's what I'm going to do with my last year of life here. That's a meaningful breath. A life lived for Jesus. That's a life worth living. And transient as it may be, that's a life that matters forever and will be rewarded forever. Now whether 2024 is your last year or not, and it might very well be your last year, it doesn't change the fact that your time here is just as limited Compared to eternity, what does it make a difference if you have one year or 20 years or 50 years or 80 years? It's nothing. Nothing. Your time here is so limited. Jesus bids you to live for what lasts. When we're thinking about that, when we're thinking about our eternal end, it really brings a lot of clarity, doesn't it? It brings a lot of clarity to our present, to our transient life. Edwards had another resolution, his 17th resolution. He said, quote, Resolved that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. He says, I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. In other words, live today the way that you'll wish you had done when you're on your deathbed. Lay out everything for Jesus. You don't want to reach your deathbed, and be full of regret. You don't want to be on the verge of death saying, I wasted my life. It went by so fast and I wasted it. I could have used it so much better. It'll be too late then. That's why you must be resolved 
to live now the way you'll wish you had done then. Because by then, you won't be able to go back and make changes. If you have regret, then there's nothing you can do about it. You must live today for him. Today is your only chance to live today. That might sound like a truism, but it's absolutely true. Today is your only chance to live today. So what, you sh- what should you do? Well, you should get your act together, right? You should plan. You should execute. Be determined to live for Christ. Live today as you'll wish you had done when you come to die. Let your mere breath be breathed out for him. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I mentioned at the beginning that those were the words of C.T. Studd. Such a great name. I wish my last name was Studd. And imagine being called Mr. Studd. That's great. Do you, do you know C.T. Studd's story? He was a stud. It, literally, he was a stud. He was a star athlete uh, back in the 1800s. Uh, he was born in 1860 to a successful indigo planter. And he was a very successful cricket player. He was a student at Cambridge University. He played for Cambridge's team. And after playing for Cambridge, he went on to play for, for Middlesex after school. But Stud left his great future in cricket to join Hudson Taylor for missionary work in China, which, according to one source, quote, caused a sensation in the public press and lit the flame for the student volunteer movement. When Stud was 25, already serving in China, he also received a very large inheritance from his father. He gave it all up. Almost all of it, I should say. He gave away to the work of missions or orphan care. And then the remainder he gave to his soon-to-be wife. And then she gave the rest of it away herself. Gave away his inheritance, gave away his very, uh, gave away the great future that he had in cricket and served in China from 1885 to 1894 until he was forced to leave due to health complications. He continued to do ministry work after that, but he struggled with health issues for the rest of his life. Eventually, he started the Heart of Africa mission and spent 18 years doing missionary work in Africa He died in 1931. This was amazing. According to one source, even though the rain was very heavy on his funeral, more than 2,000 Africans showed up for his passing. He was a mere breath, just as you are. But he was not the man in the songwriter's sad song who, quote, heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. Instead, he's the one who the wiser man said, laid up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. I'm going to close by reading part of a poem he wrote. Listen to this. He said, Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. 
than in that day when my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding my selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, happy I'll be if the lamp of my life was burned out for thee. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would get that into our minds, that we have only one life and it will soon be passed, and that only what's done for you, Jesus, will last. Let us be able to burn out our lamp for you to breathe this mere breath of ours for you. We are so insubstantial. We are so impermanent. We are so transient. We are a mere breath. But Lord, let this mere breath be a meaningful breath. A breath breathed out for you. We pray that you would do this for your glory and for our sakes. It's in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Christ Community Church is a Reformed Baptist church in San Jose, California. If you'd like more information on our church, please visit lovinglord.org. From there, you can find service times, weekly gatherings, our sermon archive, and other resources. For video content, please visit our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you again for listening.